Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Well, today I want to hit on parenting once more. I want to talk about teaching and training of a child. And um, our children, our families, our teens are pulling away from the tradition of attending and being part of the local church. We kind of talked a little bit about that already this morning. And uh, that's kind of uh, important that we understand that. It's kind of the big old elephant in the room in that a lot of people know what's going on, but we kind of act like, well, I don't want to talk about it. Well, you know, we should talk about it. There's a reason why that's happening. And we've got to change that. And we can change that. But uh, anyway, one of the things that changes that is how we teach our children and what we're teaching our children and, and the importance of teaching our children. So I want to get started. And if you have your Bibles, I want to turn to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. And I want to read that for you real quickly here. I think it'll be up on the board. I, yeah, okay, it is. Um, so I want to read that for you real quick. It says this, train a child in the way he or she should go, and when he or she is old, he will not or she will not turn from it. Uh, another, uh, and in New Living Translation puts it this way, direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. Now, we all know this passage, and we have heard it many times, and a lot of you are sitting there right now saying, I tried to live that out, but my kids still seem to be living in rebellion. And you struggle with this passage because you've tried. You, you did the best you could do, yet your kids have abandoned their faith and they're living for themselves. But I have to tell you that whether your kids are living for themselves or whether your kids are living for the Lord, this passage of Scripture is an absolute truth. The reality of this passage is simply this. If we raise our children in the understanding, in the knowledge, and in the fear of God, they will never be able to forget it. That's really what it's saying to us. They'll never be able to forget it. There will be times they will choose to ignore it. How many of you think your kids ignore everything you say? Amen, yes. <laughs> they may choose to live in opposition to it. They may choose to take it and throw it away and say, I'm not going to do that. But they will never be able to get the voice out of their head of their mom, their dad, their Sunday school teacher, their youth pastor, and their children's pastor. It'll always be there in their head and their heart. Those words will always keep coming up and they will continue to hear the truth rebounding through their minds. And ultimately, they will have to make a choice. Everybody always does. Ultimately, they will have to make the decision to either follow Jesus or to not follow Jesus. Ultimately, that is their choice. You cannot force them to accept Jesus. You do not have the power nor the right to choose for them. That God has no grand children only children we have to make that choice it will be their decision but we want to help them to be led by the holy spirit and be as informed as possible and i can't tell you how many people that i have personally led to the lord and as i was talking to them and i was discussing this with them later i said do you did you ever go to church did you ever accept christ any place were you ever taught the truth and they'll say well i went to Bible school a couple of years at a Nazarene church and I heard Jesus being taught and those words have stuck with me or my mom 
never went to church, but my grandma took me to church. And I heard them talk about Jesus. And it never went away. And they will eventually come back to that. That eventually, that truth resonates in their heart and in their minds. And it changes everything. So the question I want to explore are simply these. What do we teach our children? And how do we teach our children? And so let's jump right into it. What do we teach our children? I think there are several things we need to teach our children. I'm going to mention a few things today. This is not an inclusive list, but it is an important list. And even if you are not a parent, even if you're just a grandparent or a great-grandparent, I don't know if we have any great-greats around here, but whatever you are to someone, if you just have kids who hang around your house and in your neighborhood, then you need to hear this. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 through 16 Uh, verses 15 through 16 say this again it's on the board do your best to present yourself to god as one approved a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth the king james version says study to show yourself or thyself approved we need to teach our children the bible okay i'm i'm glad today that we had a gideon speaker here for this because he is all about getting the word of god out to people we need to teach the Bible. The Bible is very important that we teach it. They need to know the great Bible stories. They need to know the great Bible verses. And they should have an understanding of how the whole thing works. I believe that. But that's a problem because a lot of us are teaching the Bible, but we're teaching it one-dimensionally. We're teaching it like it's a flat book on a shelf. But it's not. It just isn't. Let me explain that. They need to know that the Bible is the Word of God. Okay? The Bible's not just a collection of sayings. It's not a collection of quotes. And and it's not a collection of Twitter material. You can put it on there if you want to. But that's not what it's meant for. We need to understand how it's written. They need to know how it's not a science book. Do you know the Bible is not a science book? But let me tell you something. I believe with all my heart that it points towards all the things that scientists are learning. I got no problem at all with science. I love it. I love the way they are hooking up and where they're finding out that we've been right all along and they're connecting up with it now. And that's pretty cool. Uh, They need to know, our children need to know how to read and listen to and discuss its truths in all areas of their life. In other words, they need to know that when they're in this situation, how does that change things? How does that work in my heart? How does that apply to me? They need to see it being read. Here I am. I'm going to start getting on your case a little bit here now. They need to see it being read, and they need to listen to it, and they need to see it being read and listened to and obeyed by their parents and their grandparents and their friends. As I said, the Bible's not a one-dimensional book. It's the Word of God. It's living. It's breathing. It guides. It directs us in all things. If and that's the big if. The Bible's not a magic book. Okay, you can't just sit there with it on a shelf and say, "Well, I got a book. I got a Bible in this house, so so it's all taken care of." It's not a magic book. It guides and directs us in all things if we know how to hear God speak from it. And that's a big if because I don't think a lot of people really understand how to hear God speak to them 
from it. And our kids need to learn that. They need to learn from you, from their children's pastor, from their youth pastor, from their pastor. They need to learn and should be guided by us in doing that in the things that matter in their life. We need to be able to hear the word of God. They need to know that we listen for the word of God. We need to know, they need to know that we are listening and trying to hear what it is that is being said so that we know what to do. So here's the deal. If you and I teach them to live by the wisdom of the world, they will make all their decisions based on the world's wisdom. And that's what a lot of us are doing. We're saying, well, you know, that spiritual stuff, it's okay, but I got to tell you the truth. You know, I live in a real world and, and I got to do this. And, I, you know, the real world looks like this and, and we go on. Can I give you something? Let me help you with that. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. You ever heard that before? That's truth. That's truth. And that's God speaking to us. Hey guys, if you continue to live by your own wisdom and by your own strength and by what you think is right, it's going to lead you to a place called death. It will destroy you. The world thinks it's so smart, thinks it has it all figured out. But the ways of God are different from the ways of the world. They always have been. The wisdom of the world will eventually lead to death. There's no life in it. And if I show them how wise I am, and here's, here's another mistake we make, and I, I made this with my boys to a certain degree, that if I walk around with them and I tell them how wise I am and I, I show them that I don't make mistakes and look at me, I've got life figured out, and they go, wow, dad's smart. And so they're calling me and they're asking me for my advice. My advice will lead them to death as well. The only place they're going to get truth is going to be through the word of God because it is the truth. And in some of the small things, you might get by with certain things. But let me tell you something. When it gets to the big decisions, let me, let me tell you about that. When I get to the decision on how do I love somebody who's my enemy, is the wisdom of the world going to fix that? Is that going to help us? I mean, we keep talking about how we want to change things, right? We want Muncie to be different. We want our world to be changed. How different would it be if all of a sudden we started doing the wisdom of, the, of God instead of the wisdom of the world? We started loving our enemies instead of hating them. Or what if the Bible dictated what I'm going to do with my wealth instead of the world? Because the world says it's mine and I can do whatever I want. The Bible says it's God's and I'm a steward of it. See the difference in that? <laughs> it's a big difference. Or, or here's another big one. How do I love my spouse? The wisdom of the world says, well, if she doesn't please you and you're not happy, kick her to the curb. Go find a younger model. The wisdom of God says, love her. You were made one. You can't break that. Figure it out and love her. Love her. Love her. My wisdom and the world's wisdom are just not enough. They lead to death and condemnation. So when our young people get to the place where they're trying to figure out what life is all about, if they've only got my wisdom and the world's wisdom, they got nothing. They're in trouble. And that's what I see going on in the world around me right now. I see the world and I see young people trying to figure it all out. And they're sitting there going, well, this looks wise to me because, I mean, uh, they have no guide. It's like being out in the woods and saying, I think this is east, but I don't know. Well, maybe this is east. I really can't tell. And that's where they're at. Our young people don't have a guide. They don't have a compass. There is no right and wrong for most of them anymore. It's only what they feel. And our feelings aren't a good judge of how to live. 
And the reason this is true is because our children have never really learned to hear God's voice. They're not even sure they believe in God's voice. They're not sure they have ever known that God is real. They they don't know the scriptures. They've never had someone help them to hear. They've never seen a parent practicing hearing the voice. When I was in Kansas City, I worked in a lawnmower shop. I, it was a Toro shop. They, we sold and repaired new Toros and old Toros. That's all we had to do. Toro it was the only brand we'd work on. And um, I went to work there, and I had no experience on small engines at that point. But the guy told me, he goes, I'll teach you everything. You know, you're a good guy, so come on in and work for us. So I went to work for him. I remember the first day, he's got a lawnmower up there, and he's telling me, he says, this thing has bad valves. And I said, how do you know? He goes, oh, you can hear it. And he would pull the rope, and the engine would spin, and I'd go, I don't hear nothing. He goes, you can't hear that. And I said, no, I don't hear nothing. He'd pull the rope, and he'd say, listen, I didn't hear anything. He'd pull the rope, and I'd listen. I don't hear anything. And we did that for most of the first day on different ones. And then he said, you know, he kept telling me, listen, listen, it's there, listen. And finally, I heard it. There's this sucking sound when the valves are bad. It's the air escaping. It's not sealing up tight. And it gives this certain sound that only if you train your ear are you going to hear it. It's like a musician. They train their ear. My wife sits in here. If you hit a bad note band, she knows. If you hit a bad note for me, I'm just gloriously singing because I sound just like somebody important when I'm up here singing by myself. And I have no clue. That's the way a lot of us are in our lives. We don't hear God because we haven't trained our voice to hear God, our our ears to hear God. And our children aren't going to know who God is and they're not going to believe because they haven't seen parents do it. It's time for us to step it up here. Second thing is this, we need to teach our children theology. You're going, what? Yeah, we need to teach our children theology. Let me talk about that. Theology is simply this, the talk of God. That's all it means, okay? Let me ask you, do you ever talk about God in your home? Do you ever talk about God? And what do you talk about? And what is the theology that you've taught your children? It better be correct, and you need to have an understanding of God. It can't be some of the world's ideas of God. When the boys were asking me today, when they said, hey, You know, God killed off those kids. I said, no, let me talk to you about that. You need to understand God doesn't kill us off. God loves us. But he allows, because of our sin, he allows Satan to get involved in our lives. He gave Satan permission with Job. But God is good, and he's good all the time. And I explained that to them. We went through that. They need to know that. Do you ever talk about God with your kids. We all do theology. Every one of us is doing theology. It's just that some of us are doing really bad theology. We all explain God so that we can express our experiences and learn other ideas and experiences of God. And we need to teach our children our theology so they'll know we have found and know who God is. They they need to understand Him. Our hope is is that as they come to know some of how God works and lives in his people, they'll know what God will do in their lives when they have questions. When a kid comes up to a circumstance and they go, well, I don't know how God works. And the world's telling them, well, you know, God doesn't care. He he hates you. You know, the reason your mama died was because God doesn't care. He could have stopped it. It's because you don't know who God is. You don't understand God. They will have answers to some questions if they're in the Word 
and if they know who our Father is. We're not teaching them God only does this. We're not indoctrinating them. That's not the idea. We want them to have a platform to base life off of so there is a firm foundation to work from. But mere intellectual understanding is only a small part of what we need to do. If all you're teaching them is the Scripture so that they have it memorized, and if you're only teaching them, uh, you know, just here's five things about God, that's not what we want. That's not going to help them. They need a basis, a foundation of who God is and how He works and His Word so that they can begin to work that through in their lives so that as they face trials and struggles that they're going to face in life, they have somewhere to turn to. They have to have a compass. The third thing you need to teach your children is the fear of the Lord. Let me explain that to you. This is the most important thing, but it's really weakened if you miss the first two. If you're not giving them the Word and if you don't teach them about God, then there's going to be nothing to fear. They're not going to understand this fear of the Lord stuff. The fear of God is where we teach our children a proper understanding of who God is and how they relate to Him. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So the question is really this, how do I teach them the proper fear of the Lord? See, my guess is, is that most of you here a lot of you here, a lot of the people you know have been given an improper fear of the Lord. There is both, you know. There's a proper fear of the Lord and there's an improper fear of the Lord. And many of us learned the improper fear of God. We learned that, you know, if I do something like smoke or drink, well, I'm going straight to hell for that. And that's not what God says. Come on. I know I'm in a Nazarene church and a lot of you are struggling with this, but this should be a big amen time. I'm helping you out here. Many of us learned that if I say a cuss word, I'm automatically doomed to a lake of fire. Not true. If I have a sexual thought, if I say a cross word, I remember guys used to say, I got sanctified. I kicked the dog before I got sanctified. I don't kick the dog anymore. And I'm going, dude, if that's all it does for you, I don't want it. Sometimes the dog needs kicked. Amen. I've been on porches where dogs were trying to eat me. If I get impatient, if I get angry, if I forget my Bible and don't read it every day, that God automatically condemns me to hell. That's not the God that I serve. That's not truth. That's an improper fear of God. Many of us grew up believing that God was looking for ways to send us to hell. i got to tell you something. God's doing everything he can to keep you out of it. He's got it locked up. He's holding back. He's saying, no, I don't want you there. Many of us go believing that God was judgmental and judgment was all he was about in retribution. He couldn't wait for judgment day, man. He's firing his eyes. You, you, man, he's going to do No, no, that is not God. That is an improper understanding and fear of God. Remember the movie Home Alone? We all remember the movie Home Alone. If you haven't seen the movie Home Alone, well, you know, you just need to go dig your head out of the sand. Because everybody should have watched it by now. That is an old movie, and it's a good movie. Old Kevin is left behind. His family goes on vacation to France, and he gets left at home in Chicago. And he lives next to a guy named, anybody remember? Ten points for anybody who can say his name right now. Who's the old guy that lives right next door? Old Man Marley lives right next door. He's got a beard. He's just this nasty-looking dude. And they have 
over the years built up this image of him. You know, he hates little boys. He wants to eat them. He kills little boys. I mean, they just have made him this horrible person. And so Kevin is terribly afraid of him because of what he's heard. And because he fears him, Kevin interprets everything the neighbor does as a threat to him. So he sees him out there and he's like, oh, in the movie, he's just thinking, oh my goodness, old man Marley, you know. It's a result of an improper fear of the Lord that most of us are looking at God and interpreting him wrong. Just like Kevin had an improper fear of old man Marley. In reality, old man Marley was a nice guy who helped Kevin out when the going got tough. He was there for him, and he was just a hurting guy whose son had taken off a long time ago, and he was missing his kids. It's funny when we interpret things wrong, how everything goes wrong. So we have this notion that God is out to get us because we have this improper fear of God. And so we ask questions like, if God is loving, why does he cause my son to die? And that's not true. It's a simple misunderstanding of who God is. It's a false fear of God. And we need to teach our children to have a proper understanding of who God is and how God works. And this idea that you better straighten up or you're going to hell kind of thing is not helping anything. That's not what you want to teach your children. You want to teach your children how God loves them, how he cares for them, how he went to a cross for them, how he's doing everything he can to bring them to himself, and how when they listen to him and they have a proper understanding and fear of the Lord, that he will guide and direct their lives and make their lives into what it was meant to be in the first place. We need to know that God loves and sent Jesus to die for all the sin in the world. That all sin has been died for. All those already committed and all those that will be committed, it's already been taken care of. Every sin that ever has been or will be committed on this earth from the very first one when Eve ate the fruit to the very last one which we have not seen yet, God has it already taken care of. All we have to do, and this is the part we have to teach our children, is is to accept and to be involved in the life of Jesus. To accept him into our heart. And this loving father is inviting your children, you, into a destiny of love and peace and holiness. It's an awesome life that we have misconstrued and misunderstood. He loves us so much and we see his goodness and his greatness and we have a proper fear of that and understanding and respect for that. We're his kids. He loves us. He pursues us. He desires us. And is exalted and lifted up in fear as our Father and Creator. And how do we best do all this? Let me give you this. We do it by each of us. And I'm talking to parents. I'm talking to grandparents especially right now. But each of us do this best by living in the presence of God out loud for our kids to see and hear. Let me talk to you about that. See, because... A lot of us are walking around, well, my religion is pretty private and I just don't share very much about it. You need to get over it. You just need to get over it. That's ridiculous. Two different passages I want to share with you. They're a little bit long, but listen to them. They're going to be up there. Deuteronomy 8, 2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the desert these 40 years to humble you, to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments? He humbled you. He 
caused you to hunger, and then fed you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you. And then move down to verse 11, verse chapter 8. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large, and your silver and your gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land, which is with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble, to test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourselves, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who, dry, who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your father your forefathers as it is today and then joshua chapter 4 verse 4 when the whole nation had finished crossing the jordan the lord said to joshua choose 12 men from among the people one from each tribe and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the jordan from right where the priest stood and carry them over with you put them down at a place where you stay tonight so joshua called together the 12 men he appointed from the israelites one from each tribe and he said go over before the ark of the lord your god into the middle of the jordan and each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you in the future. When your children ask, one of these stones mean, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Both of these passages of Scripture, these events were actual events that took place. And in both of these passages, God had been faithful. He had come through for His people. And God's people have life through these events as their daily life. They have lived through these events. And He took them from slavery. And He brought them through the desert. He fed them. He gave them water. And He was present spiritually with them in the tabernacle. And He showed them His glory on the face of Moses. He met their needs all the way along. And when the time came to go over into the promised land. He led them across and he backed up the Jordan and made a passageway so that they could cross. And he asked them to set up the 12 stones as a place to remember what had been done. And I love these passages. I love them because they really happened. These are the stories of their spiritual life. This is what happened. and They can look back to it. And I love them because they both teach us and instruct us in the way we are to live our lives. Most of us today have no idea where we came from and how we got here spiritually speaking we have no idea of our spiritual heritage because we don't talk about it and we don't pass it on we don't have a clue who or what opened the door for spiritual life for our forefathers or for our grandparents that got us here we don't know the journey of how god led us through our desert and brought our family across a jordan and led us into the promised land the events of our spiritual lives, we never, ever celebrate. You know what? In a lot of your homes, maybe not this particular, but in a lot of your homes, there's the picture of grandfather in his basketball uniform when he played for the Muncie Central Bearcats and they won the state in 1930-whatever. And you probably even know how many points they scored. Or he scored. And, you know, you celebrate that still every once in a while. Well, you know, grandfather, he was on Muncie Central Bearcats team, I'm telling you. 
I, I know that because you've told me that. And I understand because I went to a better school than Muncie Central. So I get it. Sorry, George. That becomes part of our identity. You know, I have two sons. I know the day they were born. I celebrate it. It's important to me. We, we, we do it right, man. You know, we usually buy them food, take them out. We celebrate, eat cake or whatever they want. We laugh. We buy them presents. Every year. They're getting old. I bought a lot of presents. I'd like to have some of that money back. But we celebrate it because it's their birthday. And it's big and it's important because it's our family and we celebrate our family. But folks, something bigger is our spiritual life, our spiritual family, our spiritual reality. And we don't celebrate that anymore. It's forgotten. We don't talk about it with our kids anymore. Something that happened a long time ago, yeah, we go to church. That's not celebrating your spiritual life. That's not celebrating your spiritual heritage. See, the spiritual heritage has been deemed irrelevant, so it's been forgotten, and now we wonder why our kids no longer seem interested. And I really think we need to know our spiritual past to guide our kids' future. Amen. It's good stuff. Let me ask you a question, parents. And I'm talking about people who are parents of old kids, too. Have you ever sat down with your children and shared your spiritual story with them? Told them how Jesus came to you, how you met him, how he changed your life. And you say, well, I've been a kid. I got saved as a kid. So tell them that. Tell them what he saved you from. But tell them. They need to hear it. See, I believe we need to know the stories and we need to celebrate the heritage of faith in our families. And finally, we need to live out faith in everything we do as well. We begin to, we have to begin to demonstrate and to involve our whole family in the living out of faith. It's not enough to say we go to church. Our kids need to see us live out our faith. They need to see us hear from the Lord. They need to see us wrestle with the situations in prayer. See, most of us want our kids to think that we got our act together. Quit letting your kids think you have your act together. Stop it, in the words of Bob Newhart. Just stop it. <laughs> it's time to be honest and say, kids, I don't know, but I know one who does. Let's get on our knees together and pray. Let's pray until God does something and he comes through. And when you do that, they'll remember. And when their time comes and they're struggling in high school or college, guess what? I know how to do it. I'm going to get on my knees because that's what mom and dad showed me how to do. The breakdown of our faith happens when we fail to remember the past and we fail to remember what God has done and we live in the present like he's no longer able to do the miracles of the past and he's no longer able to be God. As parents, the greatest gift you can leave your kids in this is the story of your faith walk, to walk it in front of them, to testify to it, to celebrate what God's doing, to live out that faith in such a genuine way that they'll be drawn to it. You know, kids spot a fake a thousand miles away. You think your kids think, well, look at me, I'm perfect. Your kids know you're not. They tell Ian all the time. They tell Debbie all the time. They tell me all the time. You know, well, my parents, they were fighting the other day. Oh, yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. No, I don't do that. But 
No, I don't do that part. But you know, the time we have with our kids is really brief. You know, some of you got a newborn baby right now. You're going, yeah, really brief. I got 18 years of misery ahead of me, right? You know, no, 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 no. You know, it is so brief. I mean, I, just the other day I was thinking, Stephen is still not quite in kindergarten. And now he has a little girl that's just not quite in kindergarten. Yeah, and that just blows my mind. It's way too brief. You know, zero to five years of age, zero to five years of age is the discipline years. You know, you got to get your, you got to get on it now. If you aren't disciplining your kids, shame on you. Shame on you. I'm pulling no punches today. Shame on you. Your kids need discipline. How else are they going to know? Who's going to tell them? Discipline your kids. Six to ten years are the teaching years. Shame on you if you're not teaching your kids. Get busy and teach them. Teach your kids. Teach them. 11 to 18 years are the coaching years. That's where you take what you've taught and the disciplines you gave them and you coach it up. Anybody ever heard of coaching it up? You coach them up. You help them to, to actually live out what you've taught them all along. And 18 years and on, you can be their friend. Do not become their friend before that. By the time they've reached six or seven years old, you better have a handle on that discipline because I'm telling you right now, if you're trying to discipline a 13-year-old, you're just fighting the, you're fighting the wind. You got no prayer. You might as well just go home. It's done. You finished. You messed it up. And by the time they're 10 or 11, they better have the values instilled in them that you want. Because if you're sitting there as an 18-year-old trying to force them to believe what you believe, don't come to me. I had a guy come to me one day. He said, I got an 18-year-old grandson. He goes, he's all screwed up. I need you to fix him. I said, you should have done that when he was little, dude. You know, I can't fix what you guys have broken. It's not my job. It's not Ian's job. It's not Debbie's job. The 11 to 18-year-olds, we fine-tune and we remind and encourage them, please be doing that. You're not their friend during this time. You know, i got to tell you something right now, just, just for your sake. Being your kid's friend is the worst thing you'll ever do when they're, when they're young. Don't do it. You know, my kids told me I was the stupidest dumbest person alive when they were living at home i remember them looking me in the eye especially steven and just saying you know you're stupid you're dumb i go yeah i know that's okay you're still gonna do what i told you and we're still gonna live like this and that's the way it goes and the funny thing is when he was 18 years old and he and john both they thought i was too weird and too dumb to be their friend so when they were 18 they left and they said good riddance and they didn't talk to me much that's okay. Funny thing about that was when they were 21 years old, both of them were calling me up and saying, Dad, how do you do this? And by the way, the other day, Stephen at 30 year old told me, you know, you're my best friend. And I said, yeah, I know. It's been like that for a long time. You just didn't understand it. But you know what? I got to tell you something really cool. Stephen Dana really getting involved in their church and they're leading their daughter to know Jesus. And John and April are going to their church in Lafayette and they're, they're, they're trying to lead their kids. See, it's hard work. But 18 years is a short time and there's a way more time on the other side for being friends. Don't become their friends. Now, some of you are sitting there going, well, great sermon, but you screwed up. You should have taught me that when I was 18, 20 years old. Now I'm 
50, 60 years old. My kids are growing up. Okay, so I'm going to help you with this real quick and we're going to be done. It's never too late. Do not get discouraged. Do not give up. It's never too late. God, through his Holy Spirit, is still speaking and seeking after your kids. He's still speaking to their lives. If you have taught them anything at all, if you've raised them in the church, if you've raised them to know Jesus especially, those words are still going over and over in their heads. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't always work. And they're still their choice to be rebellious. That's their choice. But if you don't, if you, even if you didn't teach them all that, it's never too late. God, through his Holy Spirit, is still after your kids because he says that he's after all of us, that he wants no one to perish. He's after all of us. He's after all of us. And so he's working after your kids right now. Provenient grace. So pray. Here's the deal. We got all these cards over here on this board. Those cards are names of people that we're praying Jesus will change their lives. They're probably some people in there that their, kid, their parents didn't raise them right, okay? But I believe God is still able to change their lives. We're praying for them. And, and, and you know, Wednesday night, 5 o'clock, right here in the front, we gather around. There's a group that's starting to gather, and we pray. We call out their names. If you have children, if you have parents, if you have people in your life that aren't Christian, meet with us, 5 o'clock. Call out their names. We believe God is going to change some lives. So don't give up. Pray. Agree with God for their salvation. Live out Christ's love in front of them. That means I'm not walking around saying, why aren't you going to church? And what's wrong with you? And why do you act like that? I, you know, that, I see people do that with their adult children. And I want to just walk up to them. Stop it. Don't do that. Begin to live out a Christ-like life in front of them. Act like a Christian. Live like a Christian. Be genuine in front of them. Live out the truth that God is in front of them. Do it now. And don't give in to their sinful choices. You know, if they're making choices that are sinful, if they've chosen to live with someone, you don't have to give in to that. But you also don't have to condemn that. Do you get what I'm saying here? You, you don't have to say, that's okay, oh yeah, fine. We're glad for you. That's moving that to a place of okay. And guess what? The tension's off at that point. And there's nothing God can do if you take the tension off. But when it's true, when they're doing it, you don't have to hate them. You don't have to condemn them. You can love them. You can say, I don't agree with that, but I love you. That's not right, but you are. I love you. So live out Christ in front of them. Don't give in to their choices. Don't condemn them. Include them in your faith decisions. I simply mean by that, that when you're praying for things, share what's going on in your life. Don't hide it. Don't sit there and say, well, I'm not going to tell them I'm praying for them because, oh my, they'd be upset. Who cares? I'm telling you what, I'd be more upset they're not going to make it to heaven. I tell my boys all the time, I'm praying for you. And I remember back when I first started saying that to John, he'd say, Dad, I wish you'd just stop it. And I'd say, okay, I'm going to be praying for you. God changes people, not you. It's not your job to save your kids. God's job. Amen? Trust Him. And remember this, and, and this is for some of you out there that are hurting from this. Let me tell you something. If you did everything that you could, if you, if you gave it all you knew how to do, and you loved your kids, and you took them to church, and you taught them Jesus, and you've done all that, and they still have rebelled, and they're still uh, going against Jesus, and going against the Word, You've done all you can do. Put it in God's hand and rest. 
You just keep praying for them, keep loving them, but just put it in God's hand and rest. You know, that's the way we do it. That's the way we got to do it. If we raise our kids in the understanding and knowledge and fear of the Lord, here's the truth. They will never be able to forget it. Amen. Amen. Father, today I just praise you for that truth. And I know, Lord, that it's got a little long here today, and I didn't mean to do that, but Lord, I just feel like this is pretty heavy on my heart. Because, Lord, I love our kids, and I love children, and I love the people of this city. And, Lord, I see so many hurting people right now. So, Jesus, right now, I'm just inviting you to come. Just inviting you to come to the midst of people here. Seth's going to come up here and play just a little behind us. And, and uh, come on up. Um, and we're inviting him to lead us in the worship again for just a moment. We're not going to take long. But I wonder if maybe there's somebody that says, you know, I'd just like to pray. I'd just like to kneel before the Father right now and just pray for my kids, pray for God to forgive me. Maybe if I didn't raise them, if I didn't share love with them, if I, did, if I wasn't a Christian, maybe some repenting or some changing. I've, you know, I've had to go and repent. God still shows me things that I did with my kids that were wrong at times. And I have to get on my knees and say, God, I'm so sorry. And I didn't mean to do that. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe nobody that wants to pray. That's fine. But I want to give you a chance to do that. So, Lord, right now, just begin to move in the place. Move your Holy Spirit moving amongst people, speaking to hearts. And people are willing to say yes to you, saying, okay, I'm, I'm still going to trust you. And though all things around me are falling apart, Lord, I just believe and I'm trusting in you. Let's stand together right now. If anybody here wants to come forward and pray, the altars are open. If not, that's fine too. But uh, God is good. When we get done with all the times up here, the people that were joining, hopefully you'll come up here. You guys come up and say hi to them. Make sure you do that. The Gideon speaker will be in the back. He's going to have a book. You can put some money in his book. That'd be good for him too. He'd appreciate that. So, Right now, if God's speaking to your hearts, let's come. Let's pray together.